Sheikh Mohammed has uh, a lot in common with our friend Nebuchadnezzar that we've been talking about. You might not know him, but Sheikh Mohammed happens to be the, um, well, he's not the king, but he's the vice president and the, the prime minister of the United Arab Emirates. And he happens to be the ruler of the Emirate of Dubai. Uh, do you, have you heard of this guy before? You've heard of Dubai, right? Okay, so uh, Dubai is, uh, it has a particular problem. You see, Dubai is uh, sitting in a desert um, and it's, it's surrounded by lots more desert. And the only income they, they really have comes from oil exports. And they've got a lot of money because of oil. Uh, there's lots and lots of oil there. But um, Sheikh Mohammed has a vision that uh, maybe oil won't be the thing that it has been in the past. It needs, they need to innovate and they need to diversify their income sources. And so he's become uh, one of the world's greatest developers. He's put lots and lots of money. And, well, uh, he's, he's kind of, he's the ruler and his personal finances kind of get mixed up in the state finances, just FYI. But, but he's, uh, he's pumped a lot of money into development. And uh, you can see they don't have much to offer. He wants there to be lots and lots and lots of people coming for vacations. But um, how many of you would like to, to go to a very humid 112 degrees to vacation? Just, just raise your hand. No? No hands? It, you have to attract them with something, and so he's a visionary, and he's got a lot of people together, and he's done some interesting things. Do you see in that picture what he's done in the, in the ocean? Well, it's actually the sea, or the Gulf of, of um, uh, Arabia. They, they kind of look like, um, just coming, coming off of Dubai, they kind of look like these islands that are kind of palm trees. Do you see that? Let's get a closer look. There's one of those palm islands. He has carted in or had carted in, he didn't do any of the work himself, but he has carted in lots and lots of sand and dumped it in a place that was just water before, and he dumped it high enough that he's made this island that looks like a palm tree, and it has this, this um, ring around it, and it's called uh, Palm Island, and um, the Palm Island Resort, you can see, is quite massive. This is not a small little island. Um, I did this when I was a kid. You know, you, you, you take a bunch of water and you pour sand in it and you make little islands and you put your um, sticks between them. And, and, you know, that's essentially what he's doing. He's just got more money than I had when I was a kid. And his goal is to, to bring in tourism. So he's developed this and he's developed uh, some other um, uh, properties. One of them is, is uh, called the World Islands and it's hundreds of islands that are shaped like the globe. And he wants every single one of those islands to be developed and, and people to come and stay in resorts and whatnot. And, and uh, really a place for billionaires and millionaires to play. That's what he wants Dubai to be. Now, you might also be familiar with the Burj Khalifa, or what used to be called Burj Dubai until it was, was finished a few years ago. Um, Burj Khalifa is the tallest building in the world. It boasts lots of interesting firsts. Um, it has one of the fastest elevators in the world. It has the highest elevator in the world, 140 stories tall. You can get from the ground floor to the 124th observation, 124th floor observation deck, yeah, um, in just over a minute, 10 meters a second, that elevator travels. I've been in some fast elevators and, and uh, I've been in some slow elevators in, in Manhattan. Um, the fast elevators, they kind of make 
you, you, they put some pressure on you and make your heart sink to the floor a little bit. And, and that is a lot faster than any elevator I've been in. And, and if you're 124s up, you're, um, you're over a, um, well, you, you can see a lot from there. And that's not even all the way up. It's over 200 floors high. Um, I, I'm going to show a video. And if you could just kill the audio coming out of the, the computer, because you don't need the audio. Um, now, the, the, the way that this building is designed, when it's over 2,700 feet tall, it's a, a half a mile tall, um, when it's that high, the wind can be a pretty big deal. And so there's all kinds of different ways that you mitigate against wind, but this one has some interesting twists and, and uh, the towers kind of come up in different spires. And, and the goal is to kill the, the swirling effect of wind as it comes around the, the, um, the building. And if they don't do that, the building can shake apart and uh, it could crack as it swings back and forth. It's really important they figure that out. And, uh, and they've done it so well that they only have about six feet of movement at the top, which is fine unless you're the, well, unless you're the flight attendant who volunteered to do this, uh, the United Arab Emirates has been put on um, less restriction from Britain, from Britain so they can fly more places. So they say fly Emirates. Fly better. And then you see this, which kind of makes me afraid. I would not have been on top of that tower. You could not pay me enough to be on top of that tower. Six feet of movement on the top of that little thing is a lot of movement. <laughs> well, I bring this up because um, it brings us to the story of Daniel. Um, Nebuchadnezzar was a builder. He was known as one of the world's greatest builders. He has more, his name is imprinted on more bricks than any other ruler in, in the, the ancient world. Uh, other people have been known as builders, but Nebuchadnezzar, that's kind of his, it's kind of his thing. Um, a lot of, a lot of um, other nations recorded battles won. Look, we won this battle. Our God gave us victory, right? Not in, not in Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar didn't record his wins, e even the win over Tyre. And uh, he spent 13 years besieging a city in Tyre. Um, and the only way we know that is because we have records of, from other places, not Babylon, of the, uh, the, the um, food trains that were bringing food to the army that was besieging the, the city in Tyre. 13 years and we don't have a record of it from Babylon. Um, what did he record? Well, he recorded his building. He recorded his nation building, but also his building of, of uh, um, amazing uh, projects and buildings and, and uh, infrastructure and stuff. He was, he was a generous emperor. He was fair and just. Well, mostly. He was better than most of the people in his time anyway. Um, and early on in Nebuchadnezzar's story, we hear of a dream he has. He's just come off of a win, a big win um, against Egypt, and uh, he, he has this dream. And if you remember, the dream was about this, this uh, image that had different metals, and, and God said, you are the head of gold. But the thing that God wanted him to know more than anything else was that he put Nebuchadnezzar into that role. 
Nebuchadnezzar did not rise on his own power, and it certainly wasn't Marduk that put him there. It was God who put him there. And so he has this dream, and at the end of the dream, at the end of Daniel's interpretation, um, King Nebuchadnezzar makes this statement in praise to God. He says, truly your God, is, uh, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. And he praises this God. A little more nation building happens. A few more battles are won. A few more buildings are erected. And Nebuchadnezzar forgets about God. He forgets about this interaction with the God who made him king. And this is one of the beginning of one of his edicts. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the exalted prince, the favorite of Marduk, the lofty Patesi, that's a, a, a Sumerian priest king, um, the lofty uh, Patesi, the beloved Nabu, the judge, the possessor of wisdom, the wise, the pious, the firstborn son of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, am I. He, he was kind of full of himself, um, and, and he wasn't ashamed to tell people that he's the guy. I'm the man, he says, and in his pride, he set up an image. He's dealing with maybe some problem in his kingdom, but he sets up this image, and he requires everybody that had any leadership responsibility in all of his empire to come and bow down and worship this image and acknowledge him as king, not just as king, but as their lord. And then three Hebrew worthies, we call them, three young men decided that they would not bow down. And as a result, he throws them in a furnace. And in that furnace, he sees a fourth man who he says is like the Son of God, the brilliance of God shining through the, the, the already hot fire. And in that moment, he recognizes his stupidity. And so again, he praises the God of heaven. And in Daniel 3.28, we read, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent, sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. And then he says, um, For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Worship him. No other God can rescue in this way. And you'd think that from these two dreams, this, this, this dream and this vision of God, that he would have learned his lesson. Would you have learned your lesson? Sometimes we need the lesson more than once, sometimes more than twice. In his case, he needed a few more repetitions. And uh, and so Daniel 4 records the account in the king's own words. He says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid, and as I lay in bed, the, fa the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. He was not comfortable after this dream. Something's wrong. Now notice that ease and prospering. It's one of the things that we really like. We, it's kind of the American dream to, to have ease and prosperity. Uh, just think about it. When, uh, when we're working 12-hour days, we want some ease. We want a break. It's like the, the tsunami of stuff that we have to do in our day. Not just the work that we have to do, but all the house chores and the dog and the neighbor and the kids and the, you know, whatever else it is that you have on your plate. Um, there, there's so much to do. We can 
sometimes long for ease. Or there's prosperity when we're going through our budget and we're, trying to, we're looking at, at what we have in the bank and we're trying to match that with what we have in expenses and what we know is coming up. And it, it worries us because we're, we're, we're not sure where we're going to find the money. Wouldn't it be nice to have prosperity, to not be worried about what, the, what uh, you spend money on, to be able to get things that you want and not stress about it? Prosperity is nice. Ease and prosperity are big deals. And now, none of us want to be lazy, right? We're, we're all, we appreciate the value of hard work and the, the, just the enjoyment of what we get to see when that work is finished. And, and Nebuchadnezzar enjoyed that too. Um, in fact, uh, he enjoyed building and all kinds of other things. Um, but uh, he experienced quite a bit of ease and prosperity that you and I probably can't even relate to. But he has this dream, and it, it alarms him. It makes him worried. And so he calls in his soothsayers and his magicians and his, you know, enchanters and astrologers and wise men and whatever else he called them. And no one can explain this to his satisfaction. And he, he, he realizes, you know, I really need to talk to Daniel, who at this time is basically second in command. We're pretty close to it. And so he calls Daniel and he says, Daniel, you tell me what this means because these guys, they don't have a clue. Uh, but I know that you know the answer to mysteries. So please tell me what this dream means. And then he describes the dream. I meant to mention this picture before I described the dream. Nebuchadnezzar had been building a, what is known today as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Um, his Persian queen was longing for the, the beauty of Iran, the, the Persian mountains with the snow-capped uh, peaks and the, the verdant valleys where the, the oases were and the, the gardens that were there in the royal palaces. She wanted something like that. And Iraq didn't have it. Iran had it, Iraq not so much. So um, in Babylon, he built her a man-made mountain and he covered it with greenery and, and uh, gardens and they called it the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. So beautiful that it was the wonder of the world. He's building this and, and then he gets this dream. Anyway, so here's the dream. Um, I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, chop down the tree, top off its branches, and strip off its leaves, and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it, and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let the, his portion be with the beasts of the in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him and let seven periods of time pass over him. This sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones to the end that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdoms of men and gives it to whomever he will and sets over it the, what kind of man? The lowliest of men. Hmm. Daniel took a moment, the Bible says. We don't know what, how long the moment was. It might have just been a few moments. It might have been an hour. One author suggests that he's, he, he turned aside from the king for a whole hour 
worried and thinking about what the meaning of this dream was. He knew what it was. He knew what, the, what God was trying to tell Nebuchadnezzar, but he didn't want to tell Nebuchadnezzar what it meant. And I think because he was Nebuchadnezzar's friend, it hurt him to know that his friend would be punished like this. And so the king um, turns to, to Daniel and he says, don't worry, Belteshazzar, he calls him by his Babylonian name, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Um, and, and so Belteshazzar answered and he said, my Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. And then he began to explain the meaning. In verse 22 of Daniel 4, he says, that tree, your majesty, is you. For you have grown strong and great, your greatness reaches up to heaven and your rule to the ends of the earth. He's like this mighty tree that feeds all the beasts of the, the, the field and the birds find their rest in him. He's that, that tree. But he says, then you saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump and the roots in the ground bound with a band of iron and bronze surrounded by tender grass. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the animals of the field for seven periods of time or seven years. This is what the dream means, your majesty, and what the Most High has declared will happen to my Lord the King. You'll be driven from, your, from human society. You will live in the fields with wild animals. You'll eat grass like a cow, and you'll be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time, seven years will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of this world and gives them to anyone he chooses. Can you imagine if somebody came to you and told you that? What would you think about your future, about your present circumstances, about the person who is telling it to you? Whenever our pride is challenged, what do we tend to do? We get defensive. You want to you tell me I've done something wrong? Let me tell you something. We get defensive and, we, and we, we push back. Well, the Bible doesn't really say what happened right then. Um, my guess is that there was a certain smidge of humility that was brought to Nebuchadnezzar because Daniel, his friend, his loyal servant, was telling him that he had done something wrong. In fact, Daniel says to the king, please change your ways, be merciful, be a just king, stop being so proud, and, and maybe this will be... Um, won't, won't happen to you. And, and so for a time, a year, the Bible records, uh, the, the sentence wasn't carried out. But one day, Nebuchadnezzar is uh, standing on his veranda looking out over the, the, the vast um, works of art that he's made, maybe this just recently finished uh, hanging gardens that he'd made for his queen, queen or the, the, the gates of Ishtar that were so beautiful. Whatever it was he was looking at, he's like, look at this beautiful city that I have built. Was it true that Nebuchadnezzar had built this city? I mean, in as much as he gave money to the people who did the building, sure. Um, but really, who allowed him to have the wisdom and the talent and the skills and the money and the power to do that kind of work? It was the God who sets up kings and takes down kings. The ruler of rulers, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, he gave all of those gifts to Nebuchadnezzar. And so when Nebuchadnezzar says, look at this city that I've built, he's saying, I do not recognize you, God. And he's, he's forgotten, probably mocking in a way 
the, the dream that had happened a year before and hadn't yet been fulfilled. But while he's still talking, the last word is coming out of his mouth, and he hears a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules over the, in the kingdoms of men and gives it to whomever he will. And at that moment, his sanity left him. How many of you like your sanity? Yeah? Any, anybody just want it to go away? No. Uh, this is a man who is talented. He is he is brilliant. He's a genius. And his sanity left him. Have you ever thought of it? God has given you a gift. Any wisdom you have, any ability you have to connect the dots from one thing to another, any logical thinking that you have is not yours. It belongs to the one who gave it to you. Have you, have you acknowledged that recently? Have you thanked God for the mind that he's given you? because he can take it away as easily as he's given it. And he did, he took it away from Nebuchadnezzar and, and Nebuchadnezzar ends up being uh, separated from the crowd a bit. You can't help but recognize what's happened to the king when his commands become incoherent. You can't make sense of what he's saying and he, he becomes paranoid and he starts thinking that he's an animal and he starts to, to, to go and, and eat grass. You know something's wrong with your king when that happens. Now, some people say that this didn't ever happen to Nebuchadnezzar II, the first king of the Babylonian Empire, the son of Nebuchadnezzar, the favorite of Marduk. This did not happen to him because the only record we have of it is in the Bible. But just think, that's probably one of the greatest evidences that it did happen because who would want that recorded in their history? That's the kind of thing that you leave out. In fact, what we find in history is from 582 to 575 BC, there are no royal acts recorded, no royal decrees that have been recorded for us to read. In that whole period of time in Babylon, we have silence from Nebuchadnezzar. And maybe it was in that time, 582 to 575, that he was being corralled and kept away from the people a bit. And maybe it was during that time that his loyal servant, Daniel, second in command to the king, ran the country and preserved his throne until he could be brought back to his sanity and he could regain that, that leadership. You see, if somebody else had taken over after, after Nebuchadnezzar, another king had taken his place, well, we would have known that because it would have been recorded that that had happened, that transition happened, but no transition ever happened. The people knew this was a period of time, seven, time, seven years that, would, that this would happen because he had had the dream, and Daniel preserved the, the throne for him. And when he's all done, when the seven years is over, the Bible says that he looked up. In verse 34, he says, after this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. My sanity returned, and I praised and worshiped the Most High God and, and honored the one who lives forever. His rule is everlasting, and his kingdom is eternal. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? 
Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the King of heaven. All his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. I praise and glorify the King who is able to humble the proud. It may be that as we review Nebuchadnezzar's story, we kind of think, I can't connect with that. I mean, how many of you here are king? How many of you have ease and pleasure? How many of you have built great things that you can look on and be like, yeah, I built that? And maybe you did. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you're a king. I don't know. I'm pretty sure none of you are. At least maybe your building hasn't risen to the seven wonders of the world category, so your pride might be a little bit uh, unneeded um, <laughs> compared to Nebuchadnezzar. And, and it, it would be easy for us to simply say that's his story. But does it connect? Has God given you authority? In whatever small way, maybe you're the older sibling. And there's a bit of authority you think you have, whether your parents think you have it or your sibling thinks you have it or not. Maybe you think, because I'm the older one, I get, I get to be the boss. Uh, maybe because you're the, the mother of your children, and you might even say those words, I brought you into this world and I can take you out. You think you have some authority. God's given you responsibility. Maybe you're the, the, the husband and, and, uh, and father of your home. And, and you think, you know, this is my domain, my kingdom. God's given me responsibility to care for and protect and provide for this, this group of people. Maybe you have a business or you're a leader in a, a, an organization. God has given you responsibility. And maybe you're not a leader. Maybe your work is in the kitchen or you give shots or something, and you feel like, ah, I don't have any responsibility. But every action you do that interacts with somebody else is a function of responsibility. Everything that you do makes a difference, even if just a little one. And it's possible that we can stand in our responsibility and get a bit of a puffed-up chest where we're like, yeah, I got this. I know how to be a, a father. I know how to be a husband. I know how to provide for my family. I know how to lead this business. I know how to be a nurse or whatever it is that you do, right? And we can get, we can get a certain pride. And we, and we can look around and we can say, look at this thing that I have done, this business that I've built, this career that I've made, this family that I've raised, right? Look what I've done. And we forget that every talent, every skill, every opportunity, every job we've had, every, everything that we have is a gift from God. And he says, he's the one that sets things up and takes them down. And he gives the responsibility to the lowliest of people. It's, it doesn't do us any good to have pride because we're not the ones who made us. God is the one who made us. Pride is the root of self-exaltation, and it's the thing we all struggle with. It's the root of most sins. And, and so when we look at this story, this is the story of the Christian walk, and maybe an extreme version of it, a very obvious version of it, but it's the experience of our walk. What in my life have I said, this is mine, God. You can have that little spot over there where Daniel is, but this whole kingdom here, that's mine. Thank you. And where do we do that? And like Nebuchadnezzar, you and I need to have a, 
a moment of realization, maybe a few moments of realization like Nebuchadnezzar had to have, but we need that moment of realization where we recognize that I'm not, I'm not all that I think I am, that God is the one who gave the, all of this to me. And, and some of us, it's the getting, right? We get this crisis of getting. We've gotten all that we can get, all that we can ever imagine, and, and we're just like, wow, this doesn't satisfy. Is this all there is? Is 